0: Thank you. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Robotics. I'm Nikki and it's my absolute pleasure to continue my series of talk with the winners of the Women in AI Australia New Zealand categories. It's my pleasure to introduce you to Dr. Dennis Bauer today. Dennis is an internationally recognized expert in artificial intelligence who is passionate about improving health by understanding the secrets in our genome using cloud computing technology. She is the winner of the AI Innovation category, as well as the first runner-up of the Women in AI Innovator of the Year. Congratulations, Dennis, and thank you very much for joining me today. (laughs) Hi, Nicky. Fantastic to be here, and hello to your listeners. You are CSIRO's Principal Research Scientist in Transformational Bioinformatics, and adjunct associate professor at Macquarie University. Tell us a little bit about your journey, career highlights and your particular interest in genomes. Yes,
1: let's start with the last thing. So the genome has always been a fascination of mine, which is probably you know, when I went um, graduating from high school, that was the first time the human genome was actually decoded. And there was such at such a critical point in my Career in quotes, uh, because at that point I needed to figure out what am I going to do? Do I study? Do I go? You know, to work, and with that pivoting moment and and seeing all the opportunities that are there. I was sucked into that vortex of, uh, you know, what you could do with the genome, understanding the genome. And I basically never left that vortex because it's so deep and, <laughs> and so interesting. Um, yeah, and then I, I studied. I went to Australia to do uh, an honours just, you know, for a year. And, again, I sort of stayed a bit longer.
0: <laughs> and I'm still here. I um, know. I saw you've actually got your undergrad. So you're from German heritage. Is that right? So you, Exactly, exactly. You, you, You did a bachelor in Germany and then you came. And what drew you to Australia? Yeah, I I mean...
1: English is the language of academia, right? So, therefore, I figured that it will be a good idea to actually learn how to speak it properly, how <laughs> to I, write it.
0: I wonder about Australia because we all know we've got our idiosyncrasies yeah.
1: <laughs> but I, do, I, I did want to go to somewhere where it's warm, nice beaches, right? Yeah. So, not not England. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you there. <laughs> so, yeah, Australia was a natural choice. Yeah.
0: And um, tell us then from there. So you, you ended up in Queensland and you did your honours degree there?
1: Yep, and then my PhD there. I joined the uh, Queensland Brain Institute and it was the first sequencing, large-scale sequencing um, facility in Australia with the first high-seq machine, which was really fancy back then. And we were setting up that first facility and really thinking through how to get the, from sample the information to the machine and then out of the machine in the most in the most efficient way and that was sort of a real eye-opener for me because again it was sort of at this critical time where sequencing now that it became you know a mass commodity <laughs> it was accessible to researchers and that was sort of the first time that it was really um cheap enough for people to write grants and actually do something with the genome and again there was really exciting to see, okay, now it actually becomes feasible for every researcher to go in and contribute to the understanding
0: of uh, of the genome. Okay, so let's go back to basics. What is a genome and what problems does genomics solve? Yeah, fair enough. So
1: our genome is basically the blueprint that defines everything in our body, how it's built, what disease risks you might have, um, and potentially some traits that you might um, exhibit as well. And therefore, the three billion letters in the genome, any one of them, if there is a misspelling in there, could mean that there is disease. So, cystic fibrosis, for example, is a single, um, a single gene. Similarly, with um, Alzheimer's, it's mainly driven from one uh, gene locus.
0: I can I can understand your opening the sort of Pandora's box, as you said, when you looked at it when you decided off school, and you go like, this is just a never-ending a never-ending field, so to speak.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, But it's not only around disease, but it's also the mystery of how it actually works. Like how these, you know, when you think about it, it's only 3 billion letters, right? So it, that can be written in a book. Um, and, and all of this is actually defining how as complex as we are, everything from, you know, how, how we evolve what kind of... Um, you know, how we grow up how our cells differentiate um, and regulating all the stages in our life like think about it that's that's not only the actual human body but also the spatial program that is that is running it's it's mind-blowing and then it's not only one cell right so it's uh, one trillion cells that make up our human body and all
0: of those are slightly different. Yes. So, so when someone says they can blame their genes, do you? Is this actually correct, or do you go? I always go. I'm slightly scoffing at it when I go. Mm, no, no, no. I don't know about that. I think you've got the power to change things. <laughs>
1: It depends, like if it's if it's a Mendelian disease, like an inheritable disease, then yes, most likely those people can't do anything about it. Um, but when you get into more complex things about even disease risks or, or traits, like there's a lot we can actually do. In fact, our genome is not really determining us it's the environment our lifestyle choices um, that probably make up most of what we experience later in life rather than these congenital diseases at the
0: beginning this is a fascinating subject and I, I, I personally and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong I believe that a lot of our diseases is stress related and you know certainly lifestyle factors but this this constant flight or flights that we subject ourselves to mm-hmm yeah look I'm not a medical
1: <laughs> so I do have oh, no, no. Well, a doctor but not a medical no, doctor <laughs> let's, let's
0: for our audience like this is not medical advice this is us <laughs> just tin wagging about what we actually believe in so please don't don't sue us when you've listened to this podcast <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly.
1: Uh, but yeah for sure I mean. Um, all of this will trigger inflammation in the body. And we do know that inflammation is is influencing or is is a large part of um, a lot of diseases. So for example, in um, motor neuron disease, like the disease ALS that Stephen Hawking suffered from, there was a strong link established um, just recently between the gut-brain axis. So therefore, depending on um, our diet and um, stress, also goes to the gut and the stomach and so on. So all of these factors, these environmental factors that we experience over our our life, it makes us who we are, but it also exposes us to certain
0: um, diseases that we might um, develop later in life. Yeah. So you were the brainchild between the Variant Spark program. Tell us a little about this. Yeah,
1: Variant Spark is the machine learning method that we developed exactly in order to elucidate those genetic connections with phenotypes or with traits. So what kind of disease genes they are. And typically when um, researchers have been going in there, they use statistical approaches, looking at one gene um, at a time. And that was, as I said, good for the Mendelian diseases where there's a strong um, connection between you have that misspelling and you develop the disease. But when we go to the diseases that actually are the biggest burden in our healthcare system, like diabetes, or um, heart attacks or, or anything in, in, in that domain, it becomes much more complicated. And therefore, it will be multiple genes working together at the same time, which means you, in order to identify this connection, you do have to look at the whole genome, at the 3 billion letters, all at the same time. And statistical methods cannot cope with that. So the machine learning method that we developed is exactly geared towards that, towards working with these. Millions of features in the machine learning space on um, input um, and therefore and be trained on um, a say a cohort where people have the disease and an Equal amount of people um, that are matched that do not have the disease and then the question is what is the difference between them in terms of the, their genetic markup and can we attribute that to the disease and VariantSpark was developed exactly for that.
0: Listen, it's a brilliant piece of work, and I think I correct me if I'm wrong. I read that you had over three thousand scientists contribute to this. Um, It's free on Amazon Web Services. What motivated you to do that? Yes, obviously, you want to. As researchers, the highest uh,
1: achievement really is reproducible research, right? Where you find something on your cohort, and then someone else validates that on their cohort, and the biggest barrier. Other than data, is exactly those technical limitations that um, researcher A sets it up on their system, and their system is slightly different to researcher B. So the different, if they find differences, is it because the biology is different? Is it because the data is different? Or is it because there's this really trivial change in the technical setup that caused all of this? And, uh, Ruling that out is exactly what we did with putting it on the AWS marketplace, because there is set up on the exact same hardware, the exact same settings, um, but in the account of the researchers, and they have full control over it, and they can point it to the data. So we can rule out one of those, like that is a technical difference, when they see differences in the the outcome. So that's the main reason, really, um, working together worldwide in order to identify and understand more about the genome.
0: Listen, I think it's extremely generous. Um, you know, I'm sure you could have commercialized this and people would have actually paid to do it. Um, so how does it work? Is Can I, as just a lay person, send some DNA and do it? Or do I have to go through a doctor? Talk us through how the program works. Yes, yeah, so
1: variant spark is not intended to be applied to a single genome, right? The power of VariantSpark spark comes in, Um, in numbers, and having large cohorts. So for example, the UK Biobank, they have 500,000 individuals. So so the genome of 500,000 individuals and variants can look at that. In fact, we've done that um, to look at um, cardiovascular disease risk in there. Or, for example, COVID So instead of looking at human genomes, we can look at the genome of the virus, SARS-CoV-2, which is much smaller, 30,000 bases, um, but we have many more samples. So instead of 100,000, we have millions by now from all over the world. And here the question again was, can we find out whether there is something in the COVID virus that makes it have a uh, worse disease, disease outcome in the people that they affect? So we found individuals that had a mild disease outcome, people that had severe disease outcome, and we looked at the genome of the virus that infected them and so whether there is a difference. And it's quite interesting what, what came out of that. That oh, everyone everyone is talking about the spike protein, right? Because that is what the vaccine is developed for. But the rest of the genome of that virus, they have function too. And those functions seem to have some influence on the host immune system. So some proteins in the virus can modulate our ability to fight the virus. And that is quite interesting as well.
0: Listen, it would be fascinating um, reading and um, at the risk of alienating perhaps some of my audience, I'm a, I'm a pro-vaxxer. Like I was born in South Africa. I think I was popped out of my mother's womb and I was immediately vaccinated. Like that's just how <laughs> yes. we roll in South Africa. Like, yeah, let me jab you for um, you know, TB and measles and everything that, that we could. And, you know, I just grew up with that mindset and I, I still just go, well, look, if, If someone has developed a vaccine, I get vaccinated for flu every year and it doesn't mean I don't get it, but it just means I don't go down for three weeks. You know, I may have a day where I go, oh, I'm not feeling that great. So um, is any of this information used in in making vaccines? Yeah, we certainly
1: developed methodologies, a different one, a different machine learning methodology, um, when way back at when the the outbreak started and CSR was asked to actually help in the vaccine development. So there, the question was, which one of those different strains, now we know that there is Delta, the Omicron, and so on, but back then we didn't know that. Back then we just saw genomic variations in there and we didn't know what that meant. Um, But we had to pick one of those samples in order to test the vaccine on the, the, and infect the animal. the animal models with that. And the question is, which one should we pick? Should we pick the Australian one, the one from South Australia, Queensland, I think was one of them, Victoria was, was one of the samples that was available or should we import something from overseas in order to really represent where the, um, the, 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 the pandemic is going. And there we used a machine learning method in order to visualize um, where, how these viruses evolutionary track. So we had in the middle the original one from Wuhan, and then on the outside, um, we plotted the ones uh, that we had available. And then we picked the one with sort of a representative distance from Wuhan. So not some weird outlier somewhere or something that is really close to Wuhan, which has already uh, evolved away from, but something that is, uh, representative of the trajectory, and then we did test the vaccine on that one, and it turned out that it was the right choice.
0: <laughs> Listen, it's fascinating work. I, um, I sort of I'm on the peripheral of the little bit I know about it, but I have to tell you, I've looked at DNA testing websites, and I'm I'm always hesitant to send my DNA. Or is is this a safe thing to do? <laughs> it um
1: it certainly. I would say it certainly requires some contemplation, right, because there's always benefits and risks to it. Uh, Obviously, the benefit is understanding your genome better, probably means understanding yourself better. Uh, But there are risks around it as well, because your genome, you only have one. It really has some telling features in there. So there are some privacy issues. For example, um, there's this really famous case in the U.S. The Golden Gate Killer it was apparently caught because um, related people submitted something to Ancestry and then the police went through Ancestry and found a, a related sample and then backtracked to the Golden Gate Killer. So that's something to be uh, aware of. But I think more uh, more re- realistically for the everyday person, it is that... Um, while in Australia, there is the anti-discrimination law, and it covers genomic data. So an employee, or uh, an employer, or a um, an insurance company, health insurance, and so on, cannot make negative decisions based on your genomic status. But it does not expand to private um, or, or risk-based insurance. So, for example, life insurance, why they can't ask you to um, do a genomic sequence analysis. They can certainly require you to submit all the information that you yourself obtained from an analysis like that, and that could influence uh, the ben- uh, the, um, the premiums that you pay. So, therefore, there is definitely, uh, you know, some cautious, some yeah, some cautious approach really needs to be happening in order to decide whether you want to submit your genome or not.
0: Yeah, I, I'm a part of the opinion, let sleeping dog lies. Like if you know you've got a history of uh, heart attacks or a particular strain of cancer, and, and I think insurance companies, they, they can probably find out whether you've done these tests or not because you can't really lie on these applications. Well, you can lie, but I, it could come back to bite you. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And let sleeping dogs lie. I mean, the same applies basically for
1: the knowledge of That you might find in there, like there are, there could be good outcomes where you uh, make positive lifestyle choices because of the risk that you might have. But uh, you know, knowing that maybe in twenty years you, you develop um, Huntington's disease or something that is really deterministic, uh, is uh, you know that that's a knowledge that everyone needs to decide for themselves. And therefore, reporting on these so-called incidental findings, right, where you were looking for something else and now you or half the information, oh, you are Huntington's carrier. Like, that's not something that
0: we should take lightly. No, and also, you know, perhaps you've suddenly discovered a long-lost brother or sister or parent that you didn't know about. Know. <laughs> sure. About Family relations, yes. <laughs> I do not know we were related. Oh, good thing. <laughs> so you've been introduced as a unicorn at one of your talks which I just absolutely love someone who has deep domain expertise master computer skills science skills is a wizard wizard in maths and science and I've just recently saw you released uh, an article on LinkedIn the difference between AI machine learning and deep learning can I ask you to give our audience a brief summary Brief summary about being a unicorn. So, <laughs> no, no, no. Like <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do, of course. <laughs> uh, listen, and on that note to my audience if you haven't uh uh, followed Dennis on LinkedIn make sure you do that in fact all my all my guests follow them on LinkedIn they're amazing people and um I was pitter-patting through your LinkedIn profile um you know I don't know if you know the comedian Kitsie Flanagan but she talks about people that go into your Facebook and privacy things and she said she's got the perfect answer for this you need a little meerkat which is one of those little animals in South Africa that pop up and down running over your screen and that will solve all issues so (laughs) So if you saw saw the Nicky Meerkat all over your profile whilst I was checking you, Dennis, that would be me looking at you. Um, (laughs) Yes. Yeah. um, Talk to us about machine learning. Yeah. So machine learning is
1: is really a buzzword at the moment. I've been working in machine learning uh, for the last 10 years. Right, and it's just a tool. There's no magic. There's no special uh, special skills to it. It's just a tool, like statistics would be a tool, um, or mathematics in general. Um, so I think from that perspective, it's a sort of Is Silicon Valley that likes to shroud all the technical details in mystery so that the investors don't go looking too closely? <laughs> <laughs> but I think this, this really puts a barrier up for the rest of us in thinking that, oh, my goodness, this is a skill I will never obtain or can never learn. And that's so, that's so wrong um, because it's really, as I said, it's just, a, it's just a tool. So the way that I think about machine learning is that um, it's the ability of the machine to learn from the data. And there are different ways of, of doing that. Sometimes you give it data. So sometimes in our case, for example, with the genome, we do have all the samples or examples of um, someone with Alzheimer's disease and all the examples of someone without. Um, And therefore, it's the ability to um, make, learn from the data and find the difference between the two. And um, that that is one example, so this is the, supervised machine learning it could be unsupervised machine learning where you just have the data and you try to cluster it bring it in groups that make sense and then you go in and pick out individual individuals of those and see um if you can find a story about them so annotate those clusters or you could do uh, a completely different approach you could say okay these are the rules go and learn um how to use those rules so for example the the Go learning or chess, learning chess, chess learning robot um, which is reinforcement that you basically have a rule and um, you give it a reward for something that is good and uh, a penalty for something that was was bad um, and then taking it from there. But all of those is not, um, like there is a framework around it, like machines cannot learn without any framework, so it either needs to be data specifically, or it needs to be rules. And therefore this general um, artificial intelligence that people are thinking about, like Terminator, we are so far away from from even contemplating that because all we achieved in growth, like as amazing as it is, but all we've achieved is um, something to learn by rules, which is still very much far
0: away from what we consider intelligence. You know, I think that these, as you say, these um, buzzwords, like uh, thrown around AI, deep learning for the average person walking around on the street, I think it terrifies them. They go like, they just want to know about anything. And they, and they think, as you said, the world's going to be taken over and certainly I think we do run some risks about who is inputting the data in terms of biases that we are see. Of course, that, that is a real concern. Um, but what would be your advice to just, if you were talking to someone who knows absolutely nothing about the field and they say to you, Dennis, like, um, you know, with all this AI is going to take over the world. And, you know, like, I, I actually think people working in the field, it's their responsibility to, Calm these fears down and educate people and say, look, this is actually what it is, and just read up about it a little bit. Yes.
1: With always, I think the risk comes from people, not the actual technology. Mm. Yes. Right. It's sort of the same thing with um, guns don't shoot people, but it's people shooting people. Mm. Um, And I think that's the same thing here, in that there is definitely the risk that if we take a step back and let the machines, in quotes, like let an algorithm make decisions about it, because it's a convenient, quick, fast way, um, risk-free, supposedly free, free way, and unbiased uh, way of making decisions. Then I think that's the wrong, um, the wrong approach. Because as a practitioner, we know exactly how flawed the system is, and that it can only be a productivity gain if there is a person at the end that ensures that it is still operating within the parameter so the um the instances where a machine has made a decision about an application and then that application was denied and kept being denied denied because there's one Um, You know, one word that is correlated with all the negative application that it's seen before. But if you remove that word, then the application is accepted. Right? Things like that cannot cannot stand. Um, There needs to be a guidance or a safety net around that, especially when governments employ machine learning in you know critical decision making. And while I'm all for the productivity gain, like we've seen that productivity gain. in the medical field, right, where we just don't have enough, say, um, people that look at um, x-rays, we just don't have enough experts of doing that. So each expert can only afford to look um, at a scan for a minute, and thereby likely missing um, a lot of important indications on there, whereas if you run a machine learning method beforehand over that image to highlight the areas that they should be looking at, then in that one minute, they can find much more indications and can provide a better diagnosis than they would. um, Just searching the whole picture, you know from top to bottom and wasting time by 99% looking at nothing so humans in augmented with machine learning I think is the way that we will be going forward because it's the only thing that's the only way that actually makes sense yeah
0: let's focus on the awards not because um, we can go down that rabbit hole and there'll be like an hour discussion around that <laughs> the first question I have to ask and I've asked all my um, award winners did you nominate yourself or were you nominated <laughs> I nominate myself Wonderful. I am so pleased to hear this because, um, you know, Andra was talking to me um, and, and saying, you know, she needs more women. Um, they're not applying. And even if they've been nominated, they're not picking up the, you know, the nomination and going. And I, I, I say to all women, and I'm sure you're going to say to it, it's a very worthwhile process to go through. Talk me through how you experienced the nomination, the actual form and the information that you had to put in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And look, I'm just as guilty of falling prey to the imposter syndrome as probably anyone else. Like I recently was looking through an award and thinking, oh my goodness, (laughs) what would I write to that? I'm not that good. So, and then I gave up on that one. And I encourage people not to do that. Like this is a, this is the best example where um, you just push through even though it feels uncomfortable even though you don't you're not really used to talking about yourself in those um you know colorful verbs (laughs) adjectives um but you just have to push through uh, um in in order not for yourself necessarily. I mean, it's a great, it's a great honour to be to be nominated. But I think it's it's more important to build a community in Australia, a of really good practitioners, um, and b of women practitioners, right? And um, I, th- I think that needs to be done by every single one of them, of us um, to, to contribute our little bit, even though it feels a bit uncomfortable.
0: I couldn't agree with you more. You know, some of the the women I've spoken to have actually said to me it's highlighted some of the areas the actual process going through it where they could be improving some of these skills and it's actually um also served as a sort of a, a a ball to dictate to their future where they're looking and where they should be going did you experience this
1: yeah I mean, it's, always, it's always good
0: okay. <laughs> to, to write up what you've achieved
1: and then um find the gaps where you where you definitely need to brush up because every one of us has areas that we are a bit weak in or we are weak in <laughs> yeah. and we we could improve like anyone I, I challenge anyone to uh, to find an area where they say tick 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 tick
0: <laughs> oh well look you know <laughs> I've had a lot of women say to me oh the men would go tick 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 it's the woman it's this it's this um, thing holding us back that we go oh you know we have to be a ninety-five percent expert? Oh nonsense, man! Ladies listening, you just, just apply, just put your. Throw your hat in the ring and who knows where. So, Dennis, all I can say to you is if you have this moment when there's another award, do you immediately phone me, please, and I'll talk you out of <laughs> any, whatever nonsense you're thinking, and you will be <laughs> applying for that award. So you'll just get another one when we are finished with you. Excellent. <laughs> I, I, I saw your, um, your speech on the actual award tonight, and I'm sure you mentioned your father in it. Um, he was a great motivator to you. Have, do, am I remembering correctly?
1: Yes, you did remember correctly. Yes, yes. Yeah. Tell yeah, me a so little
0: I, bit about this comment because um, I want your dad to listen to this podcast and go, oh, my daughter, I'm just beaming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, look, um,
1: when, when I heard about the, the news I was nom- that was actually nominated for the award, um, it was the same day my father actually passed away. So, oh, from a perspective, my perspective, yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, thank
1: you. But it, it made me realize like thinking, reflecting back, like that was in the time of reflection with the family and so on. And I really drove home how much his, um, his choices and his uh, preferences really influenced what I did in a really positive way. Um, and you know, you, you, never, you never are that thankful, I guess. Um, to your parents because you take them for granted and uh, the contributions that they make to your life you, you might want to even push them out of your life a little bit but you know I, I wanted to use that opportunity to say thank you even though he couldn't hear it anymore
0: oh listen I'm sure he could hear it wherever he was what a bit sweet sort of closure for you um, that's very special I and I you know what, I I always think my son um, got a belated master's degree, I went to a ceremony um, just like a little while ago in Melbourne, and um, one of the speakers, they were thanking, you know, the parents and the family and the friends for the contribution, you know, so every step you've made in your life, and will probably continue to make, someone around you is helping you and shaping you and giving you a hand up, whether you know it or not. Absolutely, absolutely. And I always get asked um, about you know mentors and
1: to me it's sort of is I never really had a mentor as such because you typically uh, you know like to call someone a mentor when they say when they officially (laughs) sort of take you under their wings and say yes let's work together but that never happens right you fall into a mentorship relationship and Uh, you know, when I reflect on that, I do have so many mentors, because I have so many people that I can go to for advice, even though they never (laughs) invited me in. You were the first one to say, hey, phone me. (laughs) So
0: now you're on the list (laughs) too. Listen, and take me up on it. I'm going to go no nonsense. If there's any doubt in your mind, I will just, this imposter syndrome, I've decided that word should just be banished from the English language. I, You know what, because all, um, you know, I, I think our biggest downfall is we compare ourselves to other people. And let me tell you, then you might as well just stay in bed because there's always going to be someone more spectacular than you who's got more. That's resilience. right. But if you can actually just look at yourself holistically and think, My goodness, you know, look at what I've achieved in spite of or despite the things, the challenges I've had, because it it fills you with hope in a way that you go, look, I've got this. But if you go from the other way that you go, I'm useless, no good can come from that self-talk. I'm just a firm believer that's not how you speak to yourself. You go into the bathroom in the morning and you go, you've got this girl." like, let's go and see what we can do. And Absolutely. You have to have The skill sets. The unique
1: skill sets that you have is basically your selling point. Yes.
0: <laughs> That's it. That's just what you have to go and do, whether you've got a degree, four degrees, no degree, everyone's got something to contribute in this world. And um, I, I, as I said, look, I'm, I think any negative, it just perpetuates more negative and it perpetuates negative behavior because you start feeling bad about yourself and then you snappy and you, you know, it's just like a just never ending cycle. So, are you a mentor to others that you're officially mentoring or I'm, I'm sure you're an unofficial one. People are watching <laughs> and going, this is what Stena's doing. I'm doing that as well, whether she knows it or not. Um,
1: yeah, I hope so. I mean, we, by now, I think we do set up these official mentoring programs and I always put my hand up um, and, and, and contribute, but I, I think it really comes down to are you the right person to ask Um in the in the situations that people are in right so often people come to me and i i I don't have an advice because it's not a lift experience i can only um, talk with them through what they what they could be doing in in that stage um and therefore it's i think it's much more organic and natural to collect these people throughout your life and then go to them when you're at the right point in your life to ask um those
0: those areas that are that they are an expert in yeah i I think everyone is like an official example or mentor to anyone around you anyway because you know the collective behavior of people and you sort of look at people and um in my own lived experience I'll look at someone and go well look if they doing that then it's okay for me to do it you know and whether it's good or bad behavior so I think we've got a responsibility just as human beings to really try and put just our best foot forward every day because you don't know who's watching you and going well if you can do that then I can do that as well so um, look be the bearer of good news and positive behavior is probably my message absolutely that's a, that's a brilliant message being there we, we are mentors for all around us that is so true yeah because as I say like everyone's watching you the whole time and that's that's probably a little bit of an onus to carry so especially you not so much me but especially you so Dennis thank you it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you as I mentioned to you before we started I've, I've been a follower of yours for um, some time I've been watching some of your podcasts as well and um, all things that you put on LinkedIn and any closing thoughts that you'd leave, like to leave our listeners with and can they contact you if they've got any questions? Yeah, absolutely. So definitely reach out to me on LinkedIn
1: or on Twitter or email or webpage. I, I, I'm open to, to all of those. Um, yeah. So I think as, as closing remarks, I think the IT and the net tech industry specifically um, are very rough it's a rough world there and therefore you need to make your own luck like you really need to actively put yourself in as many opportunities or positions where you can be quote unquote lucky (laughs) right Mm -hmm. and um but for those you need to prepare you need to stack the odds in your favor um and most importantly i think not take it personally when you lose out in the 99 uh you know times uh, that you don't get something because it is the one time that another
0: person has made their own luck. That's brilliant advice. I really like that. And as you say, um, I've equated uh the the corporate world it's a war out there like uh, this (laughs) that's my honest opinion like this is a war it's not in a war between men and women well that always goes on but it's a men it's a war between men and men and women and women like it's a war like get your arsenal get yourself as prepared as you can because no one's going to do you any favors and why (laughs) exactly they're all vying for the top position for good salaries for good careers like of course like get out there this is you know this is a little bit doggy dog world and as you said like get your arsenal ready get <laughs> when you go in this so it's a bit like if you can't stand the heat in the kitchen don't go into the kitchen so so um, true <laughs> yeah dennis thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure congratulations on your award um you richly deserve it fantastic work um it's been fascinating delving into the genome world a little bit it wasn't an area i knew a lot about and Still, by no means, I'm an expert in it, but I've really enjoyed um, I'm speaking to you. Excellent. Thank you so much for having me. To and audience. I will call you. <laughs> you better. Put it on speed dial. I'm going to send you my mobile number. <laughs> <laughs> and to your audience out there, I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Let's Talk Robotics. And I hope you join us again next week. Mm-hmm.